welcome to Mimeo's Talk of the Trade. I'm Mike McNary. In addition to leading the sales organization here at Mimeo, I'm also interested in unlocking the secrets of sales and marketing. In each episode, I talk with creative leaders to find out how they approach problems like motivating sales teams, structuring the revenue cycle, and fitting product to market. At the end of the conversation, you and I have new takeaways to apply to our everyday life. Let's jump into today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mimeo's Talk of the Trade. Today's episode is the future of sales compensation. Our guest is Seth Mars. Seth is the principal analyst and research director at Forrester. Seth, it's great to have you on the pod. Welcome. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about your background, Seth, for maybe folks out there who might not know you, uh, how you came to focus on sales compensation at Forrester. I came over in the Serious Decisions Acquisition into Forrester, and our role as, as analysts was to be a practitioner helping other practitioners uh, do their job and improve uh, their ways of working. And as a practitioner, I, I managed, run, and had sales compensation teams uh, for years, 20 plus years. So a lot of experience working with it. I've always appreciated the value of a compensation plan and being able to leverage that to drive results. So when I came in, that was an area that I decided to focus on. And I've spent a lot of time now with other companies. I meet with probably five to 10 companies a week around the, these areas and write a lot of research around it. So it's a give and take um, learning environment. But yeah, I mean, where it all came for me was one, doing it as a practitioner and two, now being able to work on it over and over has kind of built my expertise to the point now where I do almost all of our compensation research and all of our compensation um, client meetings. Well, listen, if you're interested in what you do, right? What do they say? It's, it's not a job or it doesn't seem like work, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So five to 10 separate companies or unique companies a week on average, that's a lot of intel to gather. Let me ask you, generally speaking, do you find that in those five to 10 companies you're engaging with, there's a wide range of how folks handle sales compensation? Or do you think these days there is an agreed upon practice that many organizations follow? I'd say for the most part, it's an agreed upon practice. There's standard behaviors or standard norms in the field of compensation that are very deeply ingrained. So that's something that's that's interesting, especially like it did a presentation on the future of sales compensation. And when I talk to clients, their interest in doing something radical is very low. I mean, most companies, it's about not screwing up the compensation plan more than it is about leveraging the compensation plan to really drive true performance. And that's kind of a shame because if you think about the biggest investment you make in trying to drive performance, sales performance in a business is your compensation plan. Yet most companies are more, how do I make sure I don't screw it up than they are? How do I use it to be able to drive performance forward? Very interesting. You're right. I mean, listen, if you're going to uh, put as much money into it as you do, and it's going to be your largest line item expense, right, tied to, to driving new revenue, why not try to get it as right as you can, right, and play from a, a position of offense versus defense, right? Exactly. So, exactly. Very interesting. That's an interesting take. And, and I, I, I wouldn't have thought that that'd be, that would be the case, but I can totally understand why it is. 
right? Yeah, because everyone has their horror story, right? Of, oh, I changed my comp plan and all my sellers are leaving, or I changed the comp plan and we're not performing. And, and that is almost more disastrous than I changed the comp plan and I'm getting 3x the, the, the value that I was getting before. Is it, I mean, you have to be smart about it. What you normally see is companies will make very small incremental changes rather than anything big. Yeah. And I think, in this, you know, there's, there's some strength to that too, right? You know, if you have an established comp plan that works, right? But if you need to make changes and the ROI isn't there, right? You'd hope people would be more willing to make, take a shot, right? Listen, let's go for something big and try to drive those behaviors and results. The compensation is maybe one of the better vehicles to, to, to be a driver for, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that definition of what works is always very blurry in compensation because it becomes a thing where if I hit my number, or the company hits their number for the year, it works or it didn't work. And that's really not not the case. I mean, if you have market drivers that are that are pushing and pulling in a lot of directions around that. So you can, yep. 2021 is a great example. You had just about every company go into 2021 with very conservative numbers. So I consistently see performance in 2021 as a huge outlier. Most people would think, oh, 2020 was a big outlier because that's when COVID hit. But right. what ended up happening is those plans were set. So you did some modifications to be able to take care of your reps. Good companies did. So they, they, they put in ways to make sure that your sellers got paid. But then everyone went into 2021 with a real conservative plan. And then they all, most companies just blow those plans away. So is that because your sellers were doing something amazing in their compensation plan? Or is it because you were very conservative in your quota setting and you ended up hitting numbers that were well beyond what you thought were possible because the market was different? Yeah. And listen, in, in trying to figure that out sometimes, right? You know, you can have all the data in front of you and market intelligence and determining how each factor played into the end result, right? Some people might put a too heavily weighted uh, importance on, oh, what our comp plan did to drive this, or you know, in maybe not enough importance or or, or uh, factoring in the the impact of economic trends, or like you said, a comeback year like 2021, um, when when everyone was kind of not wondering, not knowing what was going to happen, but was not as bullish as they probably would have been if there had been no pandemic, right? Yeah. And I mean, think a lot of cases, that's what one of the things that I talk about with clients is not so much focusing on that, but does your plan correlate to results? Because you see a lot of problems with that, where your plan is going up incrementally faster or going down incrementally slower than your company's growth. If that's happening, that's what most comp organizations should be focusing on is you should have a direct correlation or very close to a direct correlation to if we do really well, sellers get paid really well, company makes a lot of money. The problem right. is where I see real big problems in comp plans are, and you see this often in businesses that are growing, growing, growing and starting to plateau. It's almost universal where you'll see the comp plan percent payments continue to go up at a disproportionate rate compared to the company's growth. So as growth plateaus, sellers start making more and more and more, um, which is that's where you have a comp plan problem. Because totally. if there's not correlated, then you've got a problem. If you can correlate it, then you're going to be fine because sales are going to be in line with what you pay. If it's, un if it's not correlated, that's where you get that call from finance that says, why, is <laughs> why are our sales expenses so high? What's going on? And right. you really, you really want to be ahead of that conversation. Yeah, I, I hear that. And do you think that that's the case because folks have maybe an established group of sellers that they trust to, you know, position their product and, and drive results, and they believe that they've got to continually drive improved compensation scenarios for them, even if it's out of line with the company growth model? 
Yeah, it's weird, right? Because you would look at it and say, oh, I mean, how is that even possible? Most sellers are paid on sales. So if sales are going up, sellers are going to make more. But when you dig into the nuances of it, there's a big difference. For example, a good one that's happening right now is a lot of of manufacturing companies pay off bookings. so right now you may have sellers that are do are, are booking a lot of business, but their supply chain so far behind it could be up to a year behind. So now all of a sudden you've paid all these sellers for bookings, and now your your deliveries are a year out. So now you've got a problem. Totally. So and that's a that's I mean that's a macro one, but you see that constantly. The way you make the way you structure the plans and when you pay, how you pay. What does it look like? How accelerators work? Accelerators cause major gaps in in payment. How you manage quota, all that stuff leads to, in a lot of cases, disconnected plans from performance. And that's the that's the part you really have to eliminate. If they're yeah. correlated, fine. But if they're not, you've got problems. Yep. Yeah, I'd imagine, especially uh, if they persist long term, right? Um, yes. That that makes a lot of sense, and I've, I've seen it. I've seen it happen both ways, so uh, I, I can uh, certainly relate to that. So let's, let's talk a little bit about some general trends in sales compensation today, right? There's a lot going on in the world, right? You know, we have maybe some pending uh, recession, um, but this is coming on the heels of a very hot job market. We've got inflationary pressures and how that's impacting um, uh, the labor market. There's a lot of different things. So, you know, let's start with this. Traditional sales comp is focused on, you know, monetary incentives and, you know, usually fixed and variable, right? And then things like, you know, rewards like President's Club trips and maybe some fringe benefits. You know, what about that model is or isn't cutting it in today's market? Yeah, there's a lot of change happening with it, but it's all not changing necessarily compensation plans. So there's another factor in this, which is millennials coming into the market and millennials value other stuff a little bit more than say boomers do, right? Where it was kind of brass tacks, here's what I need to deliver and I go deliver it. There's there's a lot more opinions when it comes into younger people coming into the market which has positives and negatives. So how they feel about the company they work for matters a lot more than it used to. So you have to have a great culture. That sounds pretty obvious, but it gets ignored very often in sales where it's like, I'm going to pay you a lot of money. You do what you, you, you do what you need to do. That's, that, that's what this is about. Um, the biggest trend that I've seen coming out of or with this job market heating up, which now it's it's starting to, you're starting to see potentially some cooling, is a lot of conversations around should I increase my base pay? Mm-hmm. Because what you had were companies coming into the market desperate for employees and going against their business strategy and over hiring or hiring for more than they should be paying for a role. Because they were desperate to have someone, one of the ways they did that was increasing base. That's going to have wide-ranging impacts because the more you, if you're paying a high base to a hunter-type rep who's at, whose sole job is to go create new business, that, that there are ramifications to that in terms of complacency and motivation and the value that the variable part of their their pay gives them. Like what what, what matters if you're getting a very high base. And a very low variable, then your uh, your motivation to go after through compensation, to be motivated through compensation to go after more deals goes down. That's why you 
you set these things up where you can give them more motivation. It's usually risk reward, right? But now with the market the way it is, you're seeing companies give in on that and start to pay a higher higher base. And that's yep. been a trend that's been happening over time. You almost never come across companies that are paying 100% variable anymore. That yeah. used to be the case. It's not the case anymore. I mean, right now, super aggressive plans, 50-50. Yep. Um, 50% base, 50% variable. Um, but even that's getting challenged in this market where people are losing reps very quickly. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. So it's... It- and so on the so just to jump in, you know, on the and there's a few, you know, you mentioned a few downsides of the the high base, but then it's got to extend your payoff period for that rep, right? When they start to become profitable, right? If they have too much fixed rep, you know, dollars tied to their their comp model. Furthermore, what do you do in two years when they're you know ascending? Right now, all of a sudden, you've created a higher baseline that you know uh, you're just setting yourself up for much higher wages in two three years if you want to keep top talent. Yeah, and the risk is high, right? So imagine in this environment where you're starting to give sellers more and more base, market factors play a role in your ability to hit a quota. So if a seller, if you have base variable and you're hitting 100% of your quota, it doesn't matter at all, right? But if if you have a downturn and everyone's hitting 90, 85% of their quota, that rep becomes significantly more expensive than a rep that you had on a 50-50 base. So you have to... companies are being forced to make that decision and take that risk. Um, and they will pay dearly for that as, as things turn a little bit. And it'll be interesting. A lot of the guidance that, that I have with clients is how do you manage that effectively to make sure you're fair, but not just fair to a, to a seller because you're desperate for more sellers, but fair to the company so you both can win. And in some cases, that's fine and it makes sense. In other cases, you're really putting your company at a disadvantage by making that change. Right. Totally understand that. And, and so let me ask you this, and it kind of goes back to one of the earlier points that we were talking about. You know, this is competitive labor market, right, where people are increasing bases in order to attract talent, right, which creates some of the myriad issues we just talked about. Um, but then, you know, we talked about using compensation models and changing compensation models to be competitive and drive better results. Are people maybe even more hesitant to make changes right now because of the competitiveness of the job market outside of, you know, the, the increased basis to attract new talent? What about the legacy talent, right? Are people kind of standing firm because they don't want to rock the boat? Or are they doing similar things with their legacy talent where they're trying to make it more uh, attractive in order to keep the talent that they've had for maybe short or medium term? The biggest thing that I see is companies are trying to figure out how do they accurately how do they accurately reward talent? Because what I see in a lot of cases is right now there's an overpayment, not just not just from the perspective of you know what your on-target earnings is, your base versus variable, but what because of 2021 and some of these shifts, most companies are looking going, why am I paying so much? Because in in a lot of cases, their their average sellers at 110% of plan. And they're wondering why they're spending so much money on their sellers. So to a certain extent, they're trying to find sanity in their forecasting. So I'm seeing trends happening where companies are going, forget it. I'm not going to forecast annually anymore. I'm going to, or I'm not going to give quotas annually anymore because with a quarterly quota, I can at least see three months into the future and be able to accurately assess. Now they build out an annual plan, but then they assess it quarterly and only give the seller a quarterly number. And it allows them to 
better aligned to what reality is in the market. So you're seeing things like that to focus on how do I become more accurate in what is a fair number to give a seller. That's right. the biggest thing I've seen in this because it's gone haywire the last two years and companies are trying to figure that out. And to a large extent, that's a really good thing because why on earth were you giving annual plans to begin with? I mean, to a certain extent, that company's ability to forecast an annual number is horrendously poor, uh, especially when you get down into the rep, the rep level. Like when you go down to a rep, a, a company's ability to accurately quota reps in their territories, the success rate is incredibly low. It is. Right. It's so by drawing it back and giving yourself visibility, it allows you to set a fairer quota. And ideally, that makes it a fairer number for the rep to hit and a fairer number for the company to reward that rep. So yeah. we're starting to see that. And I love that because it's actually taking a part of the business that people are scared to change and doing some pretty innovative things. That's interesting. I, I like a few takes there. Whatever you're doing with your comp, you've got to make it a win-win for the org and the individual, yeah. right? If it's used in one direction or the other, it's going to be bad news, right? And then furthermore, listen, get creative. Think about the uncertainty of the market and maybe think about quarterly compensation plans versus annual, right? Why not even give it yeah. a run? I, I don't see a lot of downside yeah. if you can get your, your team members to buy in, right? Yeah. I mean, the hard part is most organizations can't even pull together their quotas in and run them. It takes them four months to put together their annual, five, four or five, six months to put together their annual quota number. So what, yeah. what you're seeing as well is there's going to need to be a lot more agility when it comes to executing compensation and planning in a faster manner. And that in most companies who for years have done their annual racetrack of, you know, this is when we do our planning, this is when we do this, it really disrupts that. And for especially for enterprise organizations, they struggle to make that change because in a lot of cases, it takes them a month and a half just to figure out how to pay someone, not yeah. let alone how to change quotas to adapt. But that's that's going to have to adjust. If you want to make the most of all this money you're spending, you, you can make a very strong argument. It's worth the investment in, in becoming more agile. For sure. Yeah. I totally agree, Seth. And, and furthermore, right, like the idea of a quarterly compensation model is that the risk is mitigated to some degree, right? You are right taking a three-month bet versus a 12-month bet where the variability of your expectations is probably going to be less than on a annual basis with a strange or unique market uh, conditions and, you know, um, inflationary pressures and some of the other things that we're seeing, right? Take the three months. Yeah. And as long as companies remain committed to the balance between the seller and the, and the company, right? Because what a lot of sellers would say is, oh man, that means if I do good in Q1, I'm going to get, I'm going to get screwed in Q2. <laughs> That's exactly what they'll say, Seth. <laughs> you're going to have to figure that out to say, this is what balance is. And you're going to have to make sure, and this is something that's come up a lot that I've done a lot of research on is you got to get away from who hits quota and who doesn't hit quota. You have to start looking at your distribution. You have to make sure if you make that commitment that at the end of the year, if you wanted 20% of your reps to be in excellence and make a certain amount of money in excellence and a certain amount, 15, 20% to be in threshold, you're going to have to adjust not based on individual sellers hitting their number, you're going to have to adjust based on the distribution to make sure that at the end of the year, you've got 20% of your reps hitting excellent. Because sellers don't sell in a group. Very rarely do they sell. Everyone sells 100%. We're all going to be right at 100% and distributes. 
So if you can hold to those numbers, that's your way to stay fair. Because at the end of the year, if you still have 20% of your reps hitting their numbers and hitting those excellence numbers and making really good money, you've been fair to the reps, they've been fair to the company, and it actually makes it a lot more fair. Because now you don't get the one guy who has a bluebird comes up, blows their number out, and now they've, they've hit their number for the year. That takes everyone else's numbers down. Right. Um, so you can do adjustments to really to, to make it fair for all reps and make sure that there is the, the rep that performs from beginning to end actually makes the best money. Yep. Which is what you want. You don't want someone to, to fall into a top, uh, you know, into that excellence number. You want the, the reps who deliver day in and day out to get that money. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, so plus 100 for that answer, Seth. Uh, let's let's talk about you know going back a, again to kind of some of the introductory statements and, and conversation we were having. So millennials entering the job market right now. A lot of those millennials are landing in the area of you know for many sales organizations highest importance and you know uh, we'll say of highest interest as well, which is top of funnel right pipeline creation, sales development or business development teams. You know depending on what org you're talking to. So what are maybe some trends that you see in changing the way that top of funnel or pre-sales teams are incentivized? We've talked a little bit about revenue. What about the folks driving pipeline? Yeah, this is a really interesting area. I think it's a use case for the future on what's going to happen. Because what you're seeing in high-performing top of funnel BDR, SDR teams is payment based on getting a, getting a customer to a certain point in the pipeline. Right, actually, to a certain extent, getting them into the pipeline where a seller accepts them, that creates a lot of challenges. So this is from a compensation plan uh, standpoint that is completely foreign to most companies. Most companies are so scared of overpaying a rep, or not just scared, but they've actually dealt with overpaying reps for things that were that didn't lead to sales that they just won't do it. But you kind of have to because a BDR is not responsible for closing a deal. It's their responsibility to give a qualified opportunity to a seller at a level that everyone agrees is qualified enough that the seller should be able to close it at a reasonable percentage that you would see in their typical pipeline. That's very odd. So what you're seeing now is those sellers getting rewarded based on qualified qualified opportunities, based on meeting set based on number of, of contacts, which has traditionally been really bad for sales because it's really easy to manipulate that. And I think you see a lot of that happening in this space because if a seller doesn't have any responsibility to that opportunity and they have a buddy that's a BDR, they'll accept everything. They can hit their number just, totally. just by pushing stuff over. So you have to build rules around it. But we're seeing a lot of companies have success with it. And there's another trend on the sales tech side, which I think is going to, over time, really push into this and make it a lot more viable, which is, and this is an area, another area of research that I, that I work on very heavily is getting the seller out of the activity capture game. So getting sellers out of the forecasting game. They no longer, it, it, their data is so visible in what sellers are actually doing. The idea of having them document what they're doing and them tell you what they're going to sell is not, not where things are going. Eventually, right. you should be able to understand all the things happening within a deal better than a seller because the seller only sees the, the parts of the deal they're working on. 
Now, right now, that's better than, than most other people. And in the past, you couldn't see that. But nowadays, you, you have the ability to see 80 plus percent of the interactions a seller has with the buyer, not just the seller, but the entire selling team marketing has with their buying buyers in the buying cycle. Once that flips and it's progressing, the technology is there, but the buy-in isn't, and it's going to keep progressing. The minute that a seller does an interactivity and the minute that you don't rely on a seller or a sales team for forecasting, what you'll see is, hey, I've qualified these 20 deals. I expect you to close 60% of them. Mm -hmm. Go close 60% of them. Let us know how you can help. And I don't want you entering anything. I don't want you, I don't want you forecasting anything. You put all of your energy in closing those deals. Once that happens, you you've eliminated their ability to manipulate what happens because you're just capturing the interactions they're having with their buyers. And yeah. you can start paying them earlier. Think about, think about it. Today, you're paying based on an outcome that's already happened. So once the deal closes, you pay, which is great to make sure your dollars match with your commission payments. Yep. Not really a great way to figure out what's going on in a deal and to be able to course correct or to be able to see that this stage, when this, when this question comes up, 80% of the time, if you give the right answer, they close. 20% of the time, if you give the wrong answer, or if you don't get that answer, they lose 80% of the time. Yep. If you understood that and can accurately monitor it without manipulation, that's where you want to pay your seller. You don't want to pay them at the end result. The end result is the easy part if you've done all the hard stuff during the sale. Interesting. The problem is always the problem has always been you can never accurately document sure. or pay off of it because it's easily manipulated. And sellers will figure that out real quick. But if you can remove them from that, which it's getting more and more possible to do it. Now you're going to start paying them. You're going to start paying them like a BDR is paid today, but you're going to see that payment, that that process go all the way through the the sales process, through the buying process. That's really interesting. You know what? I have never thought about that possibility. And so, just to kind of you know to pair it back to you, how I'm understanding this. So the advent of you know tools like Gong and Chorus and sales loft and outreach and obviously the CRMs, you know, we're getting to a point where our visibility and the transparency between prospect and sales interactivity is almost a hundred, right? Or it's, it's, it's approaching it in a way that it never has previously, right? So with that, you know, eventual, say we get full visibility and transparency to the point where we can take them out of the forecasting, the you know, inputs that it takes to monitor and, and drive sales administratively and effectively, we might be able to comp them at different moments of the sale because we'll have intelligence as to what sort of actions at those moments will lead to by way of results. Exactly. And I think about that. The only thing standing in the way of that is adoption. And, yeah. and now that's going to... It's your... It's one of those weird things, right? You would think if you go to a seller and say, hey, I don't ever want you to enter another activity. I don't want you to do any forecasting. The only thing I want you to do is go interact with your customers. Just go sell to your customers and then do the best you can there. That's all I want from you. That they would love that. But what you hear is, well, here's the other side. We're going to capture all your phone calls. We're going to capture all your emails. We're going to capture all the interactions and we're going to put them in the opportunity visible to anyone that we want to have see it. And we're going to analyze it and understand what's going on. 
So they're all in on not doing anything, but the visibility of their interactions scares people. They think that it's, you know, big brother or whatever, and, right. and that that the company cares so much about them that they're going to be looking that closely. And, it, and in a lot of cases, that's hmm. just not true. It's going to be behind the scenes looking at the macro view and trying to find insights to let the seller sell. And the beauty of that is when that happens, your seller who could figure out how to manipulate their way to plan or manipulate their way to President's Club will right. disappear. And your yeah. best sellers, the people who truly make a difference for your company that truly add value will emerge as the people who are making a difference. And they'll, you'll start, it'll, it'll make pay quality a reality. Today, there's a lot of ways for sellers, especially really good sellers that understand how systems work, to manipulate those systems to be able to get them into position. You no wipe doubt. all that out, now you have the best sellers doing it. And I, and I think that actually, when you look at um, going back to kind of the generations, millennials don't care as much about recordings, all of that stuff. That's a boomer type thing or, or uh, gen Couldn't X. agree more. Yeah, so they're going to be a lot more open to it. So you have that inertia on your side as well. To a certain extent, they're going to be asking for it. Once that happens, now that that's where things will change. Now it's a big change. It's 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 one of those things where companies are going to have to actually tell a seller, "I'm sorry, we're doing it. We're going to listen to you on any issues and try to address it, but every one of your interactions is going to be tracked." And and we believe that in six months' time, you're going to not want it any other way. And yeah. we have examples of that actually happening. But you have to be strong enough to stand up to your best. And that is something that most sales leaders really struggle with. The last thing they want to do is upset their top seller and have them leave because you're capturing their interactions. It just doesn't matter that much to them in today's environment of I have to close a deal right now. So you're going to right. need some inertia. And I think with millennials and the tech environment starting to, to, to embrace this, my hope is you'll start seeing that push forward. Listen, I, I'm not kidding when I tell you that you just blew my mind. Because I've, <laughs> I've not thought about the problem in that way. And I think about this problem quite often. And to think about the potential of this technology in that way. Um, you know, I'm, I think I, you know, when I think about how it's leveraged today and I think about some of the potential, it's more in um immediate utility right you know hey if we had this tool it could help us do this but that is a truly overarching change that could be um transformational right in sales compensation if we start um incenting and rewarding different areas of the process based off of this complete and you know accurate intelligence that we have about results and actions and how they kind of marry together wow yeah very yeah, intriguing I mean, yeah i mean the it's it's a ways out, right? You have to get that buy-in and support. The, the great thing about it is all the technologies there. Now it needs to be interweaved and, and solve some other problems, but it's the real case where AI can make a difference in in sales and in closing more business. Like it's a it's a legitimate use case, but you've got it. The hard part is how how do how do companies say I'm bought in? I'm going to make this happen. So you're going to have to do that. You're going to say. Come hell or high water, I'm making this happen. Let's go do it. Yeah. Um, and it's all there for the taking right now. Wow. Seth, I got to tell you, I'm so appreciative of you uh, coming on the pod and, you know, sharing this, I mean, uh, supreme, uh, uh, you know, 
awareness around uh, you know what's happening in the market, where the market is going. Um, if I was to kind of sum up some of the takeaways for for our listeners, you know, I'm hearing from you that the way to be is to think about compensation as an offensive tool. Use it to drive better results. Be innovative to get and incent the right behaviors from your sales organization versus being defensive to maintain the status quo or save yourself from potential disaster, right? Yeah. Um, thinking about the worst case is not the best way to go about this, right? Think about the best case and work towards that. Furthermore, you know, no matter what's happening in the market, if a company is going to uh, divert them, their strategy from being one where it's an alignment between org and individual, it's going to lead to problems in the near term, but also down the road, right? Throw your cost of sale out of whack when you realize profitability against a stakeholder. And also, what is their incentive to drive net new business if most of their compensation is secure and guaranteed, right? Yeah. And then finally, Listen, technology could create a very different future in sales compensation, right? All of these tools that we have and that we're using for, you know, maybe maybe some are thinking about this in, in this holistic way, but I think many are thinking about them in siloed ways, right? Hey, Gong gives us recording, Salesloft gives us, you know, uh, outreach uh, insights and um, capability to customize our outbound messaging. And then the CRM collects all this data and tells us where our pipeline is, et cetera. You get it. I think yeah. thinking about those as a you know, uh, beginning to end future where the tech can drive how we incent, how we reward, and when we reward is very, very unique thinking. And I listen, I, I'd like to see where this goes because I think that could lead to some very, um, you know, win win scenarios for both sellers and organizations. So, yeah, um, totally how great. was that for a summary? I mean, did I, you know, kind of capture some of the, the overarching points up? Yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, I think the biggest, the only other thing I'd add is great comp plans and great compensation works well when both the seller and the company are successful. If they're yeah. built that way and you can ensure success. And when the seller, the seller, I think some of the caveats on that is the seller that is truly making a difference with the, with the, with the buyers and influencing deals versus the sellers figure out a way to make it look like they're influencing the deals. Right. Um, but totally. if it's a win, then that's a successful plan. Yeah, well said. Hey, so Seth, if our uh, listeners wanted to get in touch with you, how could they reach you? Yeah, they could uh, LinkedIn. If, if just look me up on LinkedIn. We'd love to connect. So. Awesome. You heard it. Seth Mars of Forrester. Thank you so much again for your time today. Great episode. Um, I loved all the things that you brought to the conversation. And hopefully we can do this again sometime sooner. Talk of the Trade is hosted by Mimeo, the better way to print. Find out more at www.mimeo.com.